1: traffic in Jackson or Meridian, or cruising along the coast in Biloxi or Ocean Springs. MPB goes with listeners wherever they go. Your company's message can go along, too. Go to mpbonline.org underwriting to find out how.
2: Good morning. It's 830 on Tuesday, April 23rd. I'm Karen Brown, and this is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. On today's show, find out what a series of tuition hikes could mean for college students in Mississippi. Then, a new leader is one step closer to taking the helm at Alcorn State University. And after a Mississippi Story core, hear from state wildlife officials still sounding the alarm over a deer-killing disease. That's all coming up. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio. Mississippi's eight public universities are raising tuition by an average of 4% next fall. The College Board recently approved tuition increases for all universities. The steepest increase is at the Mississippi University for Women, whose students will see their tuition go up almost 8.5%. On the low end, the University of Mississippi will raise tuition by just under 2%. Nora Miller is president of Mississippi University for Women. She tells our Jasmine Ellis, there's more than meets the eye in the institution's large increase?
3: We are raising tuition to cover the cost of doing business. You know, just as, you know, with your home budget, things go up. Insurance rates go up. Um, Phone lines go up. Just regular costs that that keep rising. And we need to, um, you know, we need to be able to ensure the quality of the academic experience that the students are having. And we didn't want to have to make cuts um, in order to fit, you know, within our budget. So we try to keep this as, as reasonable as possible because affordability and accessibility are very important to us. I know the increase appears to be larger for us, um, but what we're actually doing is we are removing the online course fees that students have been paying at the rate of $25 per credit hour And we're rolling that number into tuition. So our tuition for 2019-2020 is actually a a combination of a 3% increase over the current rate, and then we rolled what used to be in, in course fees into that flat tuition amount. So it makes it a little more transparent for our students so that they can see the total cost.
4: What impact does raising tuition have on students, especially students who might be, say, first generation or could be considered low income? What impact does that have on them?
3: Well, it it, it hurts them, of course. The increase that we have, um, because most of this they're paying anyway as um, as the online course fee, what they're actually paying more is, you know, around $300 a year. So when you spread that out over 12 months, it's not as much. Um, and we do offer payment plans for students where they can stretch their payments over a semester or over 9 or 10 months. So being able to know what the rate is now means that students can sign up for a payment plan and start paying it and spread it out over the course of this next year.
4: I know you mentioned the payment plan. Does this mean a lot of students will have to get loans? I don't think
3: this this increase is enough that um, students who who weren't already on, on loans aren't going to be needing to take out a loan for an additional $300 a year. But um, students will have to use their money judiciously. And, um, you know, if they are taking out loans, make sure that they have that they are applying those loans to things that are going to help them be more productive as a student and make sure that they're paying for their fees and for their textbooks and and all of that instead of um, more discretionary funds.
4: What exactly is this percent increase? Is is it a full 4% and how much is it?
3: The increase for students is, um, as it it appears to be a $585 a year increase, which is 8.6%. However, most of this is a reclassification from a per credit hour fee that they will no longer be paying. So the, the net effect on the students should be the equivalent of a 3% increase over what they are currently paying.
4: President Nora Miller is with the Mississippi University for Women. Thank you so much, President Miller, for just talking to me about the tuition increase and how this impacts students at your institution. I appreciate it. Thank you, Jasmine.
2: Noel Wilkin is provost at the University of Mississippi. He tells our Jasmine Ellis high-quality education costs money, but a public university in Mississippi is still a good bargain.
1: First, I think it's important to know that we're committed to provide a quality education that rivals any public research institution in the nation. I think we owe that to our citizens, to our students, and to our alumni, and these funds are going to help ensure that we're able to do that. Uh, Our increase this year is 2% for in-state and out-of-state tuition. So we're actually lower than the in-state average.
4: What impact does this increase have on students, especially students who might be, say, first-generation or considered low-income students?
1: Right, so here at the institution, um, we do have uh, generous scholarship packages that we offer to students for two purposes. One is for, for academic merit, for the academic achievements they've demonstrated, and the other is for need. And so, in fact, this year we're rolling out scholarships that are scholarship packages that are based on the needs of students in addition to their academic qualifications.
4: For the students who may not receive scholarships, does this mean a lot of students might have to take out loans?
1: That's possible that students would have to figure out ways to afford tuition. Uh, Keep in mind that a four-year education in the state Still, even with our rate approaching right around $8,700 per year for in-state students, is extremely affordable and is lower than most in-state tuition across the nation.
4: Is there or was there another way for the university to get the funds that it needed other than raising tuition for students? Was there another way to go about that?
1: Universities have two main mechanisms for permanent budgeted funds. One is from state appropriations and the other is from tuition, and so those are the two main revenue streams that an institution has to cover the costs of the programs that it offers to the students, and as a result of that if we don't see an appropriation increase then of course we have to look to the other mechanism which is, uh, which is increasing tuition rates to cover the necessary costs at the institution. We're very thankful to the state legislature for covering the mandated increases to retirement costs and health benefits that are being implemented this year. We're also grateful that they provided some funds for the most needed capital repairs and renovations. However, the, the funds that come from this increase will go to cover things like utility cost increases, library cost increases, repair and renovations, capital costs, classroom renovations, program enhancements, um, all those kinds of things that we incur on an annual basis as a result of, of operating our, our university.
4: Do you have any advice maybe for parents or students who might be concerned about the tuition increase?
1: Yeah, I would say that um, there's lots of mechanisms available to help students cover the costs of tuition to earn a college education, which increases their earning power for a lifetime. We're giving students opportunities for an education that will enable them to use that education to pursue career opportunities and jobs for careers that will last 40 years or so. Uh, And so a college education, particularly at the rate that we charge Mississippians, is extremely affordable given the benefits that students receive from earning a college degree.
4: Dr. Noel Wilkin is provost and executive vice chancellor at the University of Mississippi. Dr. Wilkin, thank you very much.
1: Thank you. I hope you have a wonderful day.
2: In other news, the Mississippi College Board is tapping Felicia Nave to become the next president of Alcorn State University. Nave was named the board's preferred candidate at a press conference yesterday. She earned her undergraduate degree from Alcorn and currently serves as provost and vice chancellor for academic affairs at North Carolina Central University. Alcorn's Alfred Galtney served on the campus search advisory committee.
4: This person would help move Alcorn State University progressively forward and make sure that we remain pretty much strong and stable throughout the years and maybe even grow even further to new heights. It's that I believe is facing us with grants and cooperative agreements to also uh, be that champion for us.
2: Felicia Nave will be at Alcorn tomorrow to meet with campus groups. Coming up, hear from state wildlife officials still sounding the alarm over a deer-killing disease. That's after a Mississippi Story Corps. This is Mississippi Edition on MPB Think Radio.
5: We treat our planet sometimes results in legalities. In honor of Earth Day, the next In Legal Terms will have marine issues as its theme with guest Stephanie showalter Ottz, director of the National Sea Grant Law Center, located at the University of Mississippi School of Law. Coastal resident or not, this will be an informative and interesting show. We hope you'll join us today for In Legal Terms at 10 a.m. on MPB Think Radio and on the Internet at mpbonline.org.
2: This is MBB Think Radio. Mississippi is our mission.
6: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com. Billy Tullis was just 17 years old when she met the man who would later become her husband. At the time, he was in the military. Lavelle Tullis went on to be the chief of police in Jackson. Billy Tullis talks with her daughter, Judy, on the StoryCorps mobile tour in Mississippi.
7: I was 17. I was in senior and high school, just about to graduate. His dad had a quartet, a gospel quartet, and they traveled and had been to our house several times. But at that time, Lavelle was in service. So on Mother's Day of 1947, We went to the little country church where they were having a mother's day homecoming. There, we were kind of late, and when we got there, when we walked in, well, Byron Tullis, his dad, was standing up toward the front. Well, I was a little shy. He was motioning me to. I I didn't want to go, but he kept on, so I walked on up there in this front of this church full of people. And just as I got to him, he said. Billy, I want you to meet my son. And I looked up, and the minister said, bow your head for prayer. And when I looked up, I was looking in his eyes, and he was a goner right then. (laughs) (laughs) I didn't quit pursuing him until I got him. (laughs) That's not quite true, but he did do a little pursuing.
0: (laughs) And Papa did a lot of pursuing. Yes. yes, (laughs) Papa made that uh, happen. yes,
7: Yes, he did.
0: And so y'all married.
7: Yes. And temporarily we lived with his mother and daddy for about six months. Talk about his family a little bit. All right. The family that
0: you came into as a seventeen year old Arkansas <laughs> well schoolgirl.
7: Well, he he was twenty one, Vernon was nineteen, I was eighteen, Jerome was seventeen, Skeet was sixteen. Peggy was nine and James was four, and we all lived in a two-bedroom. It was a big house, but it was, you know, two beds in every room. But
0: so you fit right in. Yes. Yeah, yes. And they do consider you a sister as much as
7: they do. And since my mom died, they tell me I am the matriarch. <laughs> Yeah, I I feel like a grandmother to all the children. I I do.
0: And I know you're very close to, word to Peggy, the only girl.
7: Yeah, and I I loved my mother-in-law, and she loved me.
0: Tell one of the stories about Daddy and the boys in the tree or one of their
7: prank stories. Oh, one of the things they played was to take a small pine tree... And one would climb it, and the others would pull it down. And then they'd turn it loose and let it fling you (laughs) off. They were just wild. I still am sorry that we didn't do something like this. And we kept saying we were going to to get all of them together. Cause but was, they
0: played pranks on yes, each other. Yes,
7: yes, because it was always so interesting to have them tell it. One would start to tell it, and there would be several different variations of different opinions about that. I, I, one thing I want to tell you, and I may have told you this before, I always think it's so funny when differences of opinion about what happened. Sybil, when she was four years old, had phlebitis in both her legs. And her legs, I can remember, were as big as her, <coughs> her body. They were so swollen. And, you know, it's a miracle that she lived. I was seven. And I remember people were coming and to see her and bringing her little gifts and you know that on the bed where she was she'd have little gifts. You know I was jealous. What can I say? <laughs> and then years later, when mother and daddy were sick, she and I had gone to Arkansas. But
0: you stood out in the rain.
7: Is that <laughs> no, a part of the story? I'm not going to tell that. You part stood of the out
0: story. in the rain puddle. <laughs> To try to get sick is that? Do I remember that part? You remember
7: it better than I do. (laughs) (laughs) But let's go back to the other story. We were in a hotel in El Dorado, with mother. Mother and Daddy were in the hospital, and we were just talking about you know our childhood, and I was talking about that, and she said. Well, isn't that funny? She said, I don't remember anybody being in presence. All I remember is that my feet were so swollen I couldn't wear shoes, and you got new Easter shoes. Here's the two sides of the same story. the same story. Uh, It's pretty much still the same.
6: (laughs) To hear more of our conversations from the StoryCorps mobile tour, go to mpbonline.org. The StoryCorps Mobile Tour visited Mississippi through a partnership with the Mississippi Humanities Council, the MPB Foundation, and Mississippi Public Broadcasting.
4: An evening of jazz can be just what the doctor ordered. Take the greats, Ella, Coltrane, Dinah, Miles, and Monk. Mix in the contemporary giants like Shure, Hour, Crawl, Malone, and Benson. Join me, Meredith Michelle, with WJSU's Evening Jazz. 7 to 10 weeknights on MPB Music Radio.
5: Have you been in this situation? You're listening to a great story on Think Radio in your vehicle, but now it's time to go inside. You want to keep listening, but you're ready to move on. What can you do? Pull up the MPB Public Media app on your phone while you're in the car. You can continue listening to that great MPB local show and not miss a moment. Search for the MPB public media app in your app store.
2: This is Mississippi edition on MPB think radio. I'm Karen Brown. Mississippi's Wildlife Agency is still concerned about a fatal disease affecting the state's deer population. Symptoms of chronic wasting disease can include weight loss, listlessness, and stumbling. Russ Walsh is with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks. He starts by explaining how CWD works.
6: Chronic wasting disease is a member of a family of diseases known as uh, TSEs, or transmissible spongiform encephalopathy. So basically, uh, this is a prion disease. It's a, it's a misfolded protein. It's not a bacteria or a virus. Uh, it's a malformed protein that accumulates in the nervous and lymphatic tissue uh, of a cervid, such as a deer or elk or or moose. And ultimately, it um, basically eats away their brain, uh, and, it's, and it's always fatal. Uh, so it, it causes... Uh, weight loss, and other neurological issues, um, and, and again, it's, it's always fatal to them.
2: Has Mississippi seen any animal besides deer that have chronic wasting disease?
6: No. We have other susceptible cervids in the state, uh, such as you know elk, uh, but they are going to be uh, contained within high-fence enclosures. So really the only free-range animals that may be susceptible are going to be white-tailed deer.
2: What should the public be aware of related to chronic wasting disease?
6: Certainly we we want hunters to, you know, exercise caution uh, when handling deer or with any other wild animal because there are other diseases that are, you know, are, uh, of concern whether it be through, you know, handling wild pigs or or white-tailed deer. So that's, uh, you know, across the board, just always exercise caution when you're going to come into contact with, you know, bodily fluids of an animal, blood or, or what have you. Um, but one the, of the, well, the primary concerns here is uh, the impact to to the resource uh, and how it may impact deer populations uh, down the road. Uh, again, that's a it's a uh, it's our hunting heritage. Uh, it's a, an economic industry for the state. Um, and so uh, this has long-term implications for primarily uh, natural resources.
2: How many deer since February of 2018 has Mississippi seen with CWD?
6: 18. been confirmed, 18 additional.
2: In the same part of the state?
6: They are spread across six different counties. Um, Issaquina is the only county that's uh, in the the south um, and over in the Delta that has confirmed CWD. The rest of them are in the northern third of the state.
2: How do you account for that?
6: Some of them we believe are spillover, if you will, from Tennessee. Uh, They have 185 positive cases. In county in two counties that are bordering Mississippi and so certainly some of the positive cases that we have uh, for in say for instance Benton and Marshall counties those are going to be related to the Tennessee outbreak. Uh, the other cases such as the Panola and Tallahatchie counties those are still ones that we are you know looking into and investigating and looking at potential you know sources of introduction and why uh, those cases may be found where they are
2: you're asking hunters to get the deer tested is that a costly process
6: um in the long term uh, certainly it is uh, when you're when you're testing large volumes of deer like we have like we did this past year you know we were uh, since October 1 of 2018 we've we've tested over 8500 deer And so moving forward uh, to test that volume of deer, it certainly is a costly uh, endeavor, yes.
2: Is it costly to the hunter? Does the hunter have to
6: pay for that? No. uh, To date, uh, there's been no cost to the hunter. Uh, That has just simply uh, been a voluntary, they voluntarily provided the samples to us, so no cost to them.
2: What if someone eats the venison from a deer with chronic wasting disease?
6: So to date, uh, all of the research that has been uh, conducted, there's been no documented case that CWD has been contracted by humans by consuming um, infected animals. Um, The CDC still recommends that hunters exercise caution uh, because there's still research being done on this issue. But to date, Um, Again, there's been no documented case that a hunter um, or human has contracted the disease.
2: You are holding a series of public meetings about chronic wasting disease. What can people expect who attend?
6: Sure. So there's going to be um, two primary objectives for these meetings. Uh, The first is to lay out uh, where we have been in the last year, uh, what we know uh, from our testing around the state. Also, we will present updated research, Uh, on chronic wasting disease from other states and the implications of the disease as it pertains to whitetail deer populations and and, and density. And then we will present um, deer season regulations that we have proposed for the upcoming season uh, and why we are proposing those based on the research that we have.
2: How can people find out when and where?
6: Our our website, uh, mdwfp.com, as well as our Facebook page and on Twitter accounts. Uh, it's it's uh, all the information is there.
2: Russ Walsh is the Executive Wildlife Bureau Director with the Mississippi Department of Wildlife, Fisheries, and Parks, and thank you so much for being with us, Russ.
6: Thank you. Anytime.
2: The two remaining public meetings are April 30th in Jackson and May 7th in Hattiesburg. Stay tuned to MPB Think Radio for a full slate of Mississippi-based programs all morning long. Coming up at 9 o'clock, it's Money Talks. Then at 10, it's In Legal Terms. And at 11, stay tuned for Relatively Speaking from Southern Remedy. Did you miss part of the show today? Find past episodes of this and other Think Radio programs online by visiting mpbonline.org. You can also download the MPB public media app from the Apple or Google Play stores, or you can subscribe to Mississippi edition in your favorite podcasting app. I'm Karen Brown. Join us again tomorrow morning at 830 for the next Mississippi edition only on MPB Think Radio.
6: Support for MPB comes from the University of Mississippi School of Education with 100% online master's or specialist degrees in fields like teaching, leadership, higher education, and more. More information at rebelteacher.com.